Welcome to More of That Presents Discographology, the podcast where a Springfield, Missouri band dives deep into a band's catalog, one album at a time. I am Matt. I play guitar. I'm Josh on bass. I'm Logan on guitar. I'm Blake and I play the drums. And we are More of That. Welcome to Discographology, the show where we are qualified to satisfy. How will we be doing this, you might ask? Well, by kicking off our series on Funkadelic with an examination of the first Funkadelic album, simply titled Funkadelic, and released in 1970. A quick look at the Wikipedia page for George Clinton and Parliament Funkadelic would tell you that the P-Funk mob includes at least 22 different groups, of which Parliament and Funkadelic are the two most famous, and a list of 179 people that have become Afronauts. P-Funk is not just a collective, it's a whole musical genre and culture unto itself. There is a whole mythos surrounding the mothership, and Dr. Funkenstein that I can't even begin to understand, and maybe trying to understand is missing the point entirely. While eventually Funkadelic would become the cornerstone of the George Clinton Parliament Funkadelic musical universe, it's worth remembering their origins, how this cosmically sloppy outfit's tenure as the flagship of P-Funk began. They did not necessarily set out to create such a dense and jam-packed army of funkiness. Instead, they began as a doo-wop group that morphed into a psychedelic rock group, and then morphed into this collective. This series will focus on those initial years, before the mothership descended, when George Clinton and his friends dared to dream about making it big in Motown and wound up wearing bedsheets and dropping acid. Can you get to that? George Clinton was born in an outhouse on July 22, 1941, in Kannapolis, North Carolina. He was the oldest of nine kids and was raised mostly by his mother, who did her best to make ends meet by taking odd jobs. His father wasn't around much. Eventually, the family moved north to Newark, New Jersey, in search of better work. As a kid, he had the fortune of knowing the Shirelles and Dion Warwick before they hit big. His cousin was the neighbor of one of the members of that girl group, and Clinton got to watch them rehearse as well as them play the Apollo in Harlem in 1953. Also on the bill at that show was a doo-wop group known as the Spaniels, which had a huge impact on Clinton, who took up singing and doo-wop with a passion. He formed the Parliaments in 1955 at the age of 14, naming them after the cigarette brand. To get a steady source of income, Clinton moved to Plainfield, about a half hour southwest of Newark, to get a job at a barbershop. Eventually, Clinton took over the barbershop, renaming it the Silk Palace. Despite his doo-wop group, Clinton was finding lots more success with hair. While working at a barbershop, Clinton became known for conking or doing processes, basically melting black hair with chemicals to make it smooth and straight. He claims at the age of 16 he could afford Cadillacs and that his clients included Jackie Wilson and the Temptations. Pretty much all of the future members of the initial lineup of the Parliaments and Funkadelic would be either barbershop patrons or employees. Grady Thomas, Clarence Fuzzy Haskins, Calvin Simon, and Ray Davis became members of the Parliaments with Clinton. Clinton was also writing songs and attempting to sell them in New York to Tin Pan Alley. One day at the barbershop, some kids came in with millions in counterfeit money. Clinton bought the counterfeit $20 bills off of them for $1,800 and began using coffee grounds to make the money look legit. 
After an undercover cop told him they were onto his counterfeit operation, Clinton began to spend the money as quickly as possible, including using it to fund his musical aspirations, hiring session musicians to help put together demos of the parliaments. I took the last 200,000 we had just, we had been doing it almost a year. Yeah. Last 200,000 we gave it away. So, <laughs> and we got out of there and got a hit record in about a month. I want to testify. What did, it, what, did, what did having a million dollars in counterfeit money allow you to do? I would have bought a Mercedes. I would have messed it up. No, no, no. Okay. I, I actually started cutting sessions. I started using strings and horns, and I would pay the musician and tell them, you know, it's counterfeit. Yeah. But instead of giving you the $200 or $150 for the session, I gave them $1,000, $1,500. I'm telling them, you know, you got to you, get it off yourself. You got to get it off yourself. Yeah. Clinton was a big fan of Smokey Robinson and the Motown label. After getting the address for Motown off of the record label, Clinton took the doo-wop group to Detroit in 1962, where they hung around outside the offices singing for people as they entered. The story goes that Martha Reeves of Martha and the Vandellas heard them singing and got them an audition. They weren't signed to Motown, apparently because they sounded too much like the Temptations and they lacked a uniform look, with several of them being short and stocky. But Clinton got hired as a freelance songwriter and would write a few songs for Motown artists like Diana Ross and the Jackson 5. Nothing too big, though. As Clinton says in his autobiography, his time writing songs for Motown did not bear much fruit, but put more branches on the tree. One of these branches was a contact with another local Detroit label, Revelot Records. The Parliament signed with Revelot and ended up releasing a song called I Wanna Testify in 1967. Despite being labeled as the Parliament, I Want to Testify only actually featured Clinton because he was the only one who showed up to the trip to Detroit to record the song. The song became a minor hit, going to the top 20 of the U.S. pop chart. To capitalize on this success, Clinton decided to put together a backing band so they could tour. Clinton went back to his barbershop in Plainfield and took on 17-year-old patron of the shop Billy Nelson as the touring guitarist. Eventually, Nelson would move to bass after his childhood friend Eddie Hazel joined up. Hazel was also 17, and he and Nelson had met when they were kids. Nelson would become known for his bass playing, even earning the name of Billy Bass Nelson. It didn't hurt that he was tutored by Motown bassist James Jamerson's um... While playing a show in Philadelphia, Hazel became friends with the house drummer at the Uptown Theater, Tiki Fullwood. Fullwood joined the Parliament's backing band that night and never looked back. Around the same time, Tall Ross joined in on guitar, a friend and tutor of Billy Nelson. The backup band was set, and the five-person Parliaments and their backup band hit the road. It was clear early on that despite the hit, Clinton's group was not made for the doo-wop world. Doo-wop groups typically wore matching suits and had lockstep choreography. The Parliaments had neither. Fuzzy Haskins said, We were doing four or five shows a day, six days a week, and you had to have uniforms. We were wearing suits and ties, and we'd sweat them up in one performance. Then you had to take them to the cleaners, and it's a big mess. It all boiled down to the fact that we couldn't afford to get our clothes cleaned every day. Instead of dancing in step, often Clinton and Fuzzy would get into the crowd to get people stirred up. Clinton realized that since most people couldn't hear the voices of the singers anyway, Instead of focusing on a tight live musical experience, they would focus on a show that had a good vibe that would capture people's attention. In the long run, it didn't matter anyway. Doo-wop was falling out of fashion, replaced by rock guitars and the hippie movement. Drugs were also a major factor here. 
Billy was the first to try acid, and apparently while in Boston, they volunteered for Timothy Leary's acid tests at Harvard. Clinton says after doing the drug, he was belching lights and shit. Socially, the civil rights movement was shifting as well. The movement's focus shifted from de jure legal segregation to de facto cultural segregation and discrimination and violence. One night while returning from a show with the Four Tops at Newark's Bradford Theater, the group was stopped by the police. This was the summer of 1967, and riots had broken out across the nation, including in Newark after rumors had spread that an innocent black taxi driver had been killed by the police while in custody. A curfew had been put in place, and the group was in violation of this curfew coming back so late after the show. The parliaments had their vans torn apart by the police who made them sing while they stomped on their outfits and uniforms. The path forward was not one of clean-cut suits and processed hair. It would be set by two major musical figures and a random incident at a gig with another 60s rock group. Clinton says that Jimi Hendrix was the first thunderclap. They became aware of him when he played guitar with King Curtis on the Chitlin circuit. When Jimmy reinvented himself in England as the loud rock guitarist that embraced feedback, Clinton took notice. The second thunderclap was Sly Stone. In 1967, the first Sly and the Family Stone album came out, and Clinton was infatuated with this new West Coast multi-ethnic group. He recalls that they had the clarity of Motown, but the volume of Hendrix or The Who. Oh yeah, when he was Jimmy James. We were playing with King Curtis and the Dazzy Brothers. He was always deep. Very deep. When we went to Europe, um, came back, I thought he had stuck his finger in the socket. He looked like this when he came back. <laughs> so I say, uh-oh, he got out to something. When I first uh, heard of Sliding the Family Stone, I got a little pissed off. We were up at CBS, and it was Dave Kaepernick. He was just getting ready to sign a deal with Epic. He said, I have this new guy, Sly, and he has a label called Stoneflower. You know, he's kind of like your group. Then he took me back there and played the records. <laughs> I ain't gonna tell you what I said, but it was definitely that uh, this is the baddest sucker I've ever heard in my life. You know, so we signed with the label. Records never came out. But we went on to be in the shadow of Slash for some years. What happened was the um, guys that was driving our equipment had an accident, so they say. When the equipment didn't show, Vanilla Fudge, you know, these guys were like superstars, right? But um, they were real nice and um, agreed to let us use their equipment as long as we didn't tear it up, you know? Because, I mean, us being black, we was known to tear it up, you know? And they had the state-of-the-art stuff. None of us had ever played on any equipment like that. It was so large, it was ridiculous. That was the night that we found our niche. Using their new Marshall amplifiers, the focus of the Parliament's act shifted. Instead of the five doo-wop singers being the focal point, the backing band took over. In his autobiography, he says Sly Stone tried to make pop for the charts. War went with a Latin influence. Funkadelic, he says, they went directly into rock. Bassist Billy Nelson came up with the name Funkadelic for the backing band. Ever the businessman, Clinton kept the name Parliament's in the advertising to not lose any of the fans from the Testify days. Collectively, they would be Parliament Funkadelic. The lineup at this point consisted of Tiki Fullwood on drums, Tall Ross and Eddie Hazel on guitars, and Nelson on bass. Mickey Atkins was the initial keyboardist, but he would eventually be replaced by a young piano prodigy from Plainfield. 
Bernie Worrell had gone to Clinton's barbershop in Plainfield and was known around town as a wonderkind on keyboards. He had attended the New England Conservatory of Music in Boston and Juilliard in New York City. When he did go to the barbershop, he wouldn't let his parents know as they were strict and wanted him to be a classically trained musician. He would follow this group to Detroit when they moved and join them occasionally at first, not becoming a full-fledged member until the second album. The look of the Parliaments transformed as well with the change to an acid-fueled rock band. While they had always been somewhat ramshackle in their look compared to other doo-wop acts, that now went even further. Instead of wearing the suits and being clean-cut like the Parliaments, Funkadelic just wore whatever they wanted to. This morphed into each member getting a persona. Clinton says they went to a prop store and bought various things. Grady starred dressing like a genie. Fuzzy wore long johns. Calvin wore a wizard's hat. Nelson wore a diaper as he was the youngest in the group. Clinton started tearing holes in bed sheets and wearing those, usually with nothing underneath. This would eventually lead to the creation of the Dr. Funkenstein persona in the mid-70s, but at this point they were just toying with the idea and it was pure LSD-inspired chaos. Caused some interesting encounters when a promoter would book the clean-cut wearing doo-wop group The Parliaments from their promo photo and have a bus full of people wearing diapers and bed sheets roll up to the venue. Cut my head. I had dicks and moons cut it in my head. Where was this? This that was '69. You can it's on television. So within seven you, years, you yeah. done went from a smooth Move player all the way out. Dicks and moons in your hair. Diapers, <laughs> sheets, and the whole band went crazy. And people started thinking, "Damn!" Temptation started copying us, and we left and went on the road. I left the shop with the friends and they ran the shop until he got tired. That's amazing. And we went on the road as Parliament, and a year later we changed it to Parliament and Funkadelic. Took off the ties and shirts, put on sheets and diapers, and dropped some acid, and we was out of there. The run-in with the cops in New Jersey was the last straw, and the group moved to Detroit to further their musical career. They arrived in time to see the transition of the Motor City from the home of Motown to the home of the primitive punk movement, a place that the bedsheet-wearing, acid-eating rock group fit right in. They signed with Diversified Management, who also handled the booking for Iggy Pop. Clinton started hanging out with these punks, even at one point trying to promote a rumor that he and Pop had gotten married. Imagine going to a show in 1969 and seeing the Stooges, MC5, and Funkadelic on the same bill. Nothing exemplifies Clinton's transition from Motown-loving, aspiring doo-wop singer to proto-punk funk provocateur than a show he played at Detroit's 20 Grand Club. Apparently, Motown royalty were in attendance to catch this new 10-person funk rock act. Appropriately, Clinton cast himself with the others as the court jesters for these regal artists. George says, quote, I was naked, probably, and I probably poured some wine over my head and then it dripped all down my dick, and as I run across all the tables in there... I don't know if Barry Gordy was there, but I know his family was there. I'd run up and down the table, up the bar, and wine would drip down, so everybody said it looked like I peed in everybody's drink. But I was too out of it to even know if I did or not. Another story goes that Funkadelic were on a plane with the MC5 when the MC5 decided to strike up a joint. Dever wanted to turn down drugs. They took hits, but made sure to do so in a fashion that wouldn't draw attention. The MC5 did not take such precautions. Clinton writes... We were doing it subtly and politely, but they were loud and obnoxious. We kept telling them to shut the fuck up. 
Clinton was worried that if the police got involved, the white MC5 would not be picked out while the black Funkadelic would be. Surely enough, when the plane landed, cops showed up and promptly searched and arrested Billy and Tiki for possession. Circumstances out of their control would force them to drop the Parliament's part of the name legally. In 1969, Revelot Records folded, and Clinton temporarily lost the rights to the name. To get around this problem, Clinton decided the next contract would simply list Funkadelic as the name of the group. This would come via a Detroit record distributor named Armin Belodian, who started a new label, Westbound Records, just to release Funkadelic albums. With this, Funkadelic went to work at Detroit's Terra Firma studio. Clinton says that the first album was mostly just a collection of singles, a record of their evolution from the parliaments, and some longer jams. It would spend 30 weeks on the R&B charts, going to number 8 and number 126 on the pop charts. It did well enough that Westbound wanted another one. Clinton says it didn't do much nationally, but it was a big hit across the Midwest and put Funkadelic on the launch pad. I submit for the approval of more of that, the first Funkadelic album, simply titled Funkadelic, released February 24th, 1970. Appropriately enough, the number one song that day in America was Sly and the Family Stones, Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself Again. Can you feel that? It's called Discographology, and it will blow your funky mind. So, uh, before we get into the song-by-song analysis, we'd like to go around and just talk about if anyone had any you know, familiarity with this album and how we listened to it. And I'll just lead off and say that I did not. This is the instance of an artist where even the person that's sort of proposing the artist leading the discussion uh, was not you know, really a super fan before this or anything. So I just wanted to learn more about Funkadelic and kind of dive into them, and that's what drove this decision. And uh, so I'm kind of going along with you guys in a way. I mean, there's some stuff I knew ahead of time, but this album in particular I didn't know at all before I started listening to it for this project. So uh, this was all kind of new to me, and uh, I mainly listened to it through uh, Spotify. Uh, yeah, I, um, you know, had of course heard of Parliament Funkadelic and, and I, I feel like they're kind of one of those bands that even if you haven't heard any of their music, you know, they, they occupy kind of a, you're aware of them just through, through other, other means. I mean, I, I, I if I'm not mistaken, George Clinton was on, uh, you know, lots of, I love the seventies type shows <laughs> and, 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 yeah, you know, yeah. it, out in the media and that's and and you know he, he's a very striking uh striking guy but yeah i had never yes. heard uh this album before uh so i i was um you know totally new to it and um really really enjoyed it uh you know very very kind of funky music for for walking around uh campus which is how <laughs> I, I i usually uh get my uh get my time in yeah, I pretty much had zero knowledge going in, had never heard it. I was brand new to this. Kind of, they had been impenetrable, kind of, this collective of hundreds of people, and what's Parliament, and what's Funkadelic, and what's the difference, and where do I begin? Do I begin in 1955? Uh, what the <laughs> hell? Um, so I'm glad that Josh is guiding us here, <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I had a lot of fun, uh, blasted it in the car and in the living room. This is one, I streamed it. I really would have rather had this one on a nice vinyl disc uh, and done it the old-fashioned way. I feel like that that's 
how this one maybe should be listened to, but I, I was not so lucky. Yeah, I don't know too much about Funkadelic. When I was a teen in the 90s, most of my allowance would go to uh, music magazines like Rolling Stones, Circus, Hit Parader, Alternative Press, and many others. Every once in a while, I'd see crazy pics of George Clinton and P-Funk, and I knew who Bootsy Collins was, but I couldn't tell you any music by them. It would be much later that I would start to dabble. Uh, as I mentioned, I'm a big Ween fan, and especially their album Chocolate and Cheese, which features an instrumental guitar solo masterpiece of a track called A Tear for Eddie. I was always curious, who the fuck's Eddie? Uh, I, I read an interview with Diener one time and he said that it was a tribute to Funkadelic guitarist Eddie Hazel in the song Maggot Brain. It really blew my mind uh, after I sought it out and listened to it and I loved that Ween was able to steer me in that direction. Uh, the weird thing, it seemed like it was hard to find in, in good condition on vinyl and of course... As soon as I started looking for it, it seemed to be popping up everywhere on like Instagram and record collecting content. Uh, mm -hmm. I picked up a reissue of it and I'd heard mixed reviews of it, but I thought my copy sounded pretty good. But I've only heard Maggot Brain, uh, the album, and I've seen some photos and I know them a little bit through Mike Judge's Tales from the Tour Bus. Uh, mm -hmm. but I wasn't exposed to very much funk in general growing up. So I listened on uh, YouTube music and studio monitors and earbuds. So that's how I did it. Nice. Yeah. Uh, th this series is really about us kind of exploring, uh, I think, uh, you know, uh, an artist that none of us are familiar <laughs> with and, and like, we're trying yeah. new things here. We're going to, we're going to dive in and try something new here and really, uh, take take this a direction that's that's uh, different than you know some of the things we've covered in the past. I feel like we've got a really diverse season this year. So, uh, with that being said, let's go ahead and and move into the first track on this album, which is titled "Mommy, What's a Funkadelic." By the way, my name is Funk. I am not of your world. Think I'll be good to you. Flower. <laughs> All right, so Clinton says this was a founding document for Funkadelic, both a declaration of independence from other forms of music and a kind of bill of rights for the fans. So it starts with some gross mouth sounds, and then we hear a voice say, if you will suck my soul, I will lick your funky emotions. That same voice later tells us, like I said, I won't do you no harm. I am Funkadelic, dedicated to the feeling of good. And baby, I'm good at being good. Let me play with your emotions, for nothing is good unless you play with it. And thus the mythology of Funkadelic begins. The voice is somewhat a mystery, as I found multiple different sources saying different things. And this is the first of many instances of this. So Wikipedia claims it's George Clinton talking. Uh, mm -hmm. Genius says it's guitarist Eddie Hazel. My inclination is to go with Hazel, mainly because it does not sound like George Clinton to me. Uh, but maybe I'm wrong. Uh, here's the thing about Parliament Funkadelic we should get out of the way right now. More so than any other topic I have researched and covered on this show, I had to use some deductive reasoning. I, I think there's two reasons why, uh, why it's kind of hazy sometimes to figure out who did what on record. 
One is drugs. Um, they were all taking a lot of drugs, and I'm not sure yes. anyone remembers accurately what occurred in the studio. Uh, secondly, this group is a collective in the truest sense of the word. It's hard to kind of suss out individual contributions because they all kind of become one piece on stage and in the studio. And in addition to the 10-member core, there are people coming in and out all the time. If I could uh, jump in really quick, uh, an yeah, observation yeah, yeah, uh, that I made with this album is I wondered what the process was like because it sounds like a collective of people getting together, hanging out, having a good time, yeah. hitting record, and then seeing what right. happens, and then it exactly. just be like... Hey, that was pretty sweet. And then like <laughs> you're I think you're on the nose about and that. I uh, I am so yeah. fascinated by that if th that uh, approach. I think that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah, when we yeah. get to the second Funkadelic album, that I've got more to say on that note because there is some evidence for that. Uh this one uh I don't know. There maybe there was more planning, but I don't know. Uh, so this song I did want to say before we dive into our feelings, there are a few other additions to personnel on this one, which causes even more confusion. So the bass player is not Billy Nelson. It is Bob Babbitt of the Motown house band Funk Brothers playing bass. And that's possibly because Billy had quit due to financial disputes with Clinton, which is a common thing that happens where people quit and then come back. Uh, similarly on the track, we've got Motown keyboardist Ivy Hunter and guitarist Dennis Coffey and Ray Monette, who both were of the band Rare Earth, which was the first white group that Motown signed, and they later had a big hit with I Just Want to Celebrate. Um, again, possibly because Eddie had quit temporarily. I, I could not find reliable info. It was very murky. So this song was released uh. as a single. Uh, went to number 22 on the R&B charts and 60 on the pop charts. For me, I found this track kind of mediocre and, and middling. Uh, I, I ultimately like it because of the weirdness of it, but I do find it kind of just long and repetitive and, and not really having much of an aim. Uh, it doesn't end anywhere. And again, maybe that's the point, but uh, this, this was not my favorite, but it was not my least favorite either on this album for sure. Uh, Matt, what did you think? I, I get what you're saying about how this is kind of, you know, kind of a variation on a theme. Um, I, I, I definitely hearing that it's kind of the uh, the mission statement or, or the deck. It was it the Declaration of Independence or, or of, yeah. of, of purpose. Um, I, I can I can feel that in, in kind of I, I, I think the the repetitiveness and but but also kind of interpretations of uh, of that that just that little, you know, eight, eight bar phrase that, that they keep repeating. Um, everybody's kind of getting, uh, getting their own interpretation and, and their, their own input on it. I, I, I think it works, uh, especially as an, as an opener. I, I like the, how the, the feedback comes in and out. Um, I, I think my, my favorite part was, uh, when the girl group vocals, uh, kind mm -hmm. of pick up that, that melody. And as they're going along, uh, uh, they open up into the chord on kind of the stab note. It, it, it's just such, you know, little details like that, that, that really kind of take what could, you know, may, maybe be a plot if, you know, and, and, and keep it propulsive and, and, and keep you guessing with what's what to come, what is going to come next. Um, 
obviously, you know, the, the horniness is apparent uh, right out of the gate. But um, it w- was was this the track that, that also had the lyrics about coming up from North Carolina and getting slick? Yes, but, yes, but it has lines no about groove. your hair. Yes, and, and, it yeah, has it was, the, the lines, the nods to doing the hair processing. Yeah, I, 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 re- I really thought that was, you know, I, a biographical detail like that, you know, uh, really fits well kind of amongst the weirdness it it kind of grounds this because this is a very you know very kind of grounded tactile uh, album from what you might think of you know given what you think of if you hadn't heard of Funkadelic record before and we're only kind of aware of seeing them on on, on tv but but yeah I I liked it I I think it's uh it's a strong opening track yeah I'm with Josh a little bit in that it's maybe one of the Maybe one of the more middling songs of the album, although I do think it's really fun and I do like it, um, and it's got a great groove and hook. The the only issue is that that it does that one thing for nine plus minutes. <laughs> I was gonna wonder how you did with the length of tracks here. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm okay with long sometimes, but I mean, some on some of these I am feeling the the length, especially when it's only kind of doing one thing but i understand this is the genre um it's it's improving and jamming around a uh you know a four or eight or whatever bar uh part that we just kind of jam around for 10 minutes or whatever it is um i i do got to touch on the the panning left to right. i mean josh said gross sounds but <laughs> panning left to right is how the album opens both licking and also, I think the vocals where he says, I will suck your soul, and it's got some wild, we, we hear the psychedelia right away, like some delay, heavy delay and reverb uh, all over the vocals on this, <laughs> starting right away with I'll suck your soul, etc. It's either, depending on, on how you feel about the sounds, either your ASMR or your anti-ASMR. But when that, that riff comes in, when, it, when you hear... Ba-dum, ba-dum, ba-dum. I'm like, oh, this is how Led Zeppelin 2 opens. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a whole lot of love, but it, it's it's a, it's more. It's not the same thing because it goes on to do something a little more interesting with a down, 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 down. And I, it introduces several things that the album's going to do. Vocalizations, not lyrics, but vocalizations that follow just the notes of the riffs. That happens across the album. It's just the way they do things on it's all new to me um we we learned that being a, a funkadelic uh well i'm still trying to figure out what exactly that is but it means being dedicated to the feeling of good it, it's uh nastiness is brought up a lot which i i kind of dig we also learned that the bass the bass is a highlight of the whole record obviously and the the wah-wah guitar the bass and the wah guitar are the album's bread and butter and I just said, I, yeah, this is this is drug doing music. This is good music to ch- chill to, to do, to do drugs to, <laughs> or to whatever whatever you want to uh, vibe to. Um, it's pretty interesting to me. So my first note is, oh, this is why Josh was adamant about us listening in headphones so we can hear tongue <laughs> yes. tongue ASMR. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. And then my second note, is this what porno sounds like? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, what God. porno did I just walk into? This is way horny. Uh what am I being what am I being coerced into exactly? 
I I like when the narrator is is talking about uh, being cool but no having no groove. That's when it gets kind of interesting to me. I love the chorus of bum 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 bum. You know, the choir singers. I like the main riff. See, now I'm hearing echoes of King Crimson's 21st Century Schizoid Man. Oh yeah, maybe, I can see that. Which too. I was surprised okay. to find out came out a year earlier than this. Uh, mm. Which then I draw. So did Led Zeppelin too. Yeah, uh, definitely sets a mood, and it. I may not have been ready to match that mood when I first initially heard this, uh, but it's interesting mm. and it's a memorable introduction. A little too horny for me, but it's definitely a vibe. <laughs> I like it, but at an arm's length. Uh, yeah. I do. You know, I get the jamming because when you're coming up with things on the spot you know you're having to react and sometimes it takes time to think and figure out what you're doing when you're bouncing things back and forth between musicians and and that length kind of can start to wear because you know you're trying to hold it together and it can fall apart at any second <laughs> so <laughs> you gotta yeah stay safe i, I guess. get the impression that that these early days also like a lot of the songs were like vamping that they would just kind of vamp on stage yeah. while the parliaments danced around and that <laughs> evolved into kind of songs uh is is the take i get for sure well, nice uh i also have to give a shout out i love the title of that one mommy what's a funky yeah like <laughs> such a weird title i still want to know i don't know we don't know yet uh you can kind of see though the genesis of the the whole like funk funk mythos that they will eventually really lean into but not yet uh all right so the second track then is i'll bet you A song that has a, a long and storied history. I, I read three different sources on this song that all had different claims on its origin, point, and purpose. One book I read said it was an old Parliament song, but I think that's mistaken. Uh, they may have performed it early on, but I just don't think it was written for them. Wikipedia has an egregious error. It says it was written for the Jackson 5, but that Jackson 5 mm. version didn't come out till 1971, which was way after this version. Uh, so don't think it could be that. My money is on the following. The song, I believe, it's credited this way, was co-written by Clinton, a Motown songwriter named Sidney Barnes, and a woman named Terry Lindsay, who I found was a soul singer for a 1965... Uh, this, this song, I believe, was written for her for a 1965 release on Detroit's Golden Worlds Records. Uh, to bolster this claim, I found her actually talking about it. She said that the owner of Golden World Records, a small Detroit label that was bought out by Motown in 66, came to her and asked for a single. She said, the owner came to us one afternoon, this is a quote, and said he wanted a nice hook. A local radio DJ, DJ Martha Jean the Queen, used a phrase, I betcha, on the radio a lot, and he said that was a nice hook. So she came up with some lines about ice cubes on a red hot stove will melt, I betcha, and then so on. 
Uh, and to bolster that, I found that version. So, Blake, can you play the Terry Lindsay version from 1965 of this song? So that's the 1965 version by Terry Lindsay, which I, I think is the original version. And then this one came out a few years after that. Uh, the lead vocals on this one are shared by the Parliaments and Eddie Hazel. And the song would be edited and released as a single, although I could not find charting info. Uh, I like this one better than the first track. It has an actual verse and chorus. I, I don't find the hook very hooking. Uh, it just sort of exists as a late 60s sounding pop song. The one saving grace of the song to me is the guitars. There's that clean guitar picking in one channel while the other guitar kind of plays a riff. And I just think it melds together really nicely. So the guitars ultimately redeem this one for me. But uh, what, do you, what do you guys think? Yeah, it's a bit of a different feel. I noticed right away I already like that it starts with a beat. And then I like the bass and guitar groove a bit better than the first track and find it quite catchy, like Josh was saying. In, in, in left and right, we hear two different guitars doing two different things. Only I think one, only one of them is following the bass. The other is, is doing its own thing. Um, and then, of course, there's singing. There's a melody and lyrics, which the first track lacked a little bit, which was fine. But this is, a, this is almost a different genre. You know, it's like a four-part um vocal group type thing um wild how how we hear i don't you know i don't know who everyone everyone is but the uh you know the baritone guy and then that is the really that high. is uh ray davis uh doing the, <laughs> well, okay. the low voice he I, is the guy that later did the bow wow wow yippee yo yippee yay whoa yeah, he's, <laughs> he's later the atomic dog guy but uh wow. but yeah that's stingray davis and I'll bet you love to hear a good low versus high versus middle um, multi-part vocal group thing. And I like that it has two parts to it. You know, Mommy just had the one. Um, I'm noticing wild reverb effects going on here um, with, with huge decay on them on, on some of the guitar parts. I, they might be using some vocal too. Um, what's... What's going to be very different about this one from the, the 60s pop version is that the song, songiness of it all, is abandoned a few minutes in to just jam on the last several minutes where we just do instrumental and, and kind of leave the uh, barbershop. I guess it was kind of literally a barbershop group uh, to begin with. Um to just to just jam out with, with, with psychedelia and, and the wild reverb effects. I, I, I really like 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 that it ends the reverberations that it ends on are very shrill i'm not sure i agree with that <laughs> the i don't know about the systems you listened on i think i'm glad that i wasn't listening on headphones for that part um but, but i i i liked it i think i liked it better than the first one yeah really quick you are right about the uh the shrillness at the very end it is kind of harsh mm -hmm. but i definitely dig this one uh more than the first one vocals are intensely awesome uh i'm loving the guitar playing the wow wow wows uh hand claps provide energy underneath uh that face melting lead that's over that i i really dig the intermittent feedback swells 
I think that's probably what you're hearing at the very end too. Yes. Um, I'm sure, and I ha- my note was I'm sure others find it annoying, but it I do think it adds to the kind of the psychedelic vibes. I think uh, the drums and bass are very solid here. I like how the chorus of vocals kind of linger in the background for a while, and it creates a chill atmosphere where one can relax and flow for a little bit. It's not a bad headspace to be in. Uh, So far, I guess uh, I would consider this maybe top shelf so far. Hmm. Uh, Yeah, my my first note is, yep, this rules. Um, I... I'm 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 on board with with everything they're doing here. You know, Blake, you mentioned the uh, the the multi part. You know, every voice range kind of gets a line. I, I too am just a sucker for that. Um, I, I call it the and all of the Philly steaks you can eat uh, effect. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, they, uh, you know, we I know there's some Temptations uh, tie-ins. You know, Papa was a Rolling Stone. They do that as well. It, it it's just great. It's so fun. Um, this one, you know, obviously has more of a '60s feel. Um, Josh, I I do agree that the chorus is a little bit bland. You know, it's it's there's not a lot going on. You know, uh, with 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 the melody and 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 the chord progression, but everything else is just so strong. Yes, they're they're amazing players. You know, th- this is the sound of a band who has just played and played and played and played and played and every. You know, they 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 could do this with their eyes closed, and it's just all feel. I, I think it's at 315. There's a little like lightning fast out of nowhere. Uh, gu- guitar riff. <laughs> yes. And, yes. <laughs> and then, um, so you know, cool. the, the, the feedback is great. Uh, yeah, it's shrill, but I mean that I, I'll talk more about this, but you know, it, they're they're doing they're getting everything that they can out of the t- out of the technology uh, to to make these these wild sounds and yeah. I, I really like how the feedback for me it kind of even sounded like chicken or chicken for me it even <laughs> sounded like cricket chicken chirps chicken. Uh, <laughs> and okay. and I, I thought those the the cricket chirping was, was kind of a neat way to transition into the into the next song which kind yeah. of is more of a rootsy uh kind of song and you know at least from 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 my my standpoint what yeah. is that next song josh well before before we get there, i was gonna say on the guitar note like i again the murkiness i don't know who is playing what exactly could be eddie hazel could be tall ross i i lean that towards lead, eddie because yeah my I, understanding yeah. is he was like a, a prodigy at guitar <laughs> you know like that he was known as this sort of genius guitar player early on so I don't know. I'm going Hazel on that one. I think um, those those really strong, powerful leads with the delay yeah. and stuff. That's I think that's Eddie Hazel. But yeah. then I think it might be the other. Who'd you Tall say Ross. his name? Was? Tall, Tall Ross, Ross is his name. Yeah. yeah I I don't I don't know enough about him to say like this is how he plays. Um. By the way, if any like diehard Funkadelic fan is, <laughs> there's probably somebody who's like <laughs> Tall Ross's style is totally. You know, I we're we're trying to explore. Uh, right. yeah. So the next song we had we had the first track, "Mommy, What's a Funkadelic?" Now we're kind of going back to that. We have music for my mother. Keep running Mississippi one time And I heard someone on my way by Sound a little something like raw funk to me So I slowed down and took a listen This is all I could hear, baby 
This song began life as a jam called Woe-Ha-Hey, and apparently just started as that chant live, the Parliament's doing that, while the Funkadelic kind of improvised around it. There are a few key guest musicians on this track, and this is the only track on the album that Funkadelic founding drummer Tiki is absent on for some reason. Again, I don't know why. Uh, instead, a guy named Brad Innes filled in. There's also a Nigerian session musician named Gaspar Lawal playing the conga. The lead vocal that tells the story of an individual lost in Keep Running Mississippi is actually Motown saxophone player Herb Sparkman. Um, not one of the parliaments or Funkadelic. It's, it's this Motown saxophonist. The story in the song is that a lost individual hears a funk band playing and finds himself drawn to it. Keep running Mississippi, not an actual place. Uh, there are various interpretations of this. One I saw said that this was actually a variation on an old slave tale about a slave running from captivity to freedom. I couldn't find much else about that. Uh, in this version, I guess the narrator is escaping from something uh, and hears funk in the backwoods and is attracted to it. Uh, author Chris Needs says that the song, quote, invokes Jim Crow paranoia combated by the strains of raw funk wailing in the distance. And Clinton later said that this is the most important P-Funk song to him because, notice he says this a lot, quote, that was the beginning of the notion that we were going to do a funky band as opposed to a doo-wop group like The Temptations. That was a conscious thought, and that was the way I was going to go, and everything else came after that. Uh, apparently this was going to be a single, but radio stations refused to play it, fearing it would lead to riots. I, I don't know uh, why. Whoa. Uh, so I, I think this is the first song I really latched onto in this album. I mean, this is, is one of my favorites on this. It just has such an awesome groove and the vocals are great. It evokes such an atmosphere and sense of being in those, those backwoods as it intensifies. It's just hard to deny great song and, and one that isn't well known outside of Funkadelic circles, not even really known within Funkadelic circles. I think if you just know the greatest hits, but this is, this is a top tier one for me. You know, I, uh, hmm. the very first not, note that not I digging had this is, one. <laughs> well, no, no, the first note that I had when I first listened to it was, Oh, please don't go into that blind melon song. <laughs> I, dude. Same. Same. Exactly. Uh, it's the same slide. Yeah, that little slide that, that happens. But uh, the narration, George's narration is the selling point for me on the song. I love the stream of consciousness, you know, stream of conscious or a stream of conscious like storytelling. We get some crazy ass mouth sounds in this <laughs> one. I'm calling this mouth wah. It's like just crazy. The mouth wah oh, solo. Yeah. I thought that was rad. Uh, the bass line is good. Overall, it does seem a little loose, but still pretty tight, if that makes sense. And the musicians are doing a good job of listening and responding to one another. The woe-ha-hey is a great earworm, or ear maggot, if you will. Especially <laughs> if the story is true, it must have stuck with George. Uh, I don't like it as much as, uh, as I'll bet you, but I enjoy it more more than the first track. I, I liked this one. Um, 
I think that this is the best version of a thing that I, I wasn't really, ex, you know, expecting as much from from a, a funkadelic record, and that's you know a, a rootsiness and and kind of a a a bluesiness that that I you know I I guess makes sense that you know that that was kind of you know the the milieu that that a lot of these guys you know came from blues, but also doo wop and you know uh, these spirituals and, and songs that songs and stories that that had been passed down. Um, I believe Logan, you mentioned the bass. Um, it's all about that bass, uh, as as they say. <laughs> no treble. Uh, no, no treble. Um, <laughs> it's it's interesting that it's a different drummer because it's a very different drum feel. I feel like you know the drums are kind of kind of shuffling behind the bass, um, and and yeah, that that whoa hi hey vocalization is really good. I, I I think I think this is this is a, a strong kind of you know middle album centerpiece. Oh, one other thing. Uh, yeah. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the lyric about getting his harp out, and then he just sings the yeah. <laughs> the, the line that he was gonna play on the harmonica. I'm sorry if I stole your thing. <laughs> I, yeah, I, no, you. He wanted to honk on Bobo, man. He was gonna <laughs> honk on Bobo a little bit. <laughs> Yeah, that that was what I was going to comment on. Uh, Logan called it the mouth wah, which is <laughs> a pretty good description of what it was. I was like, "Hang on, why didn't they just get a harmonica?" They, ha- I think there's harmonica. There later is, in I the think. Album. Yeah, it shows up later. <laughs> but, yeah, but um, then I was kind of like, "Well, he sounds pretty damn good just doing it with his mouth." So I, <laughs> I guess I'll allow it. Um, this was one that was maybe a little bit harder for me to get into because it's uh, long and repetitive um but the groove is really infectious that just really nice bass line with the guitar over it um and yeah i i got major blues obviously this is very blues inspired the kind of spoken story over it gives me it's giving me blues um yeah, I also read it might have been on Genius that it was the story of an escaped slave. Yeah, that, that's what um, Genius. I don't trust Genius. I, I had more no. time. I, I found that fact late, and if I would have had more time in my research, I would have yeah. investigated sort of the that that idea. But I didn't know exactly how to go down that road either. Like, what do you what do yeah. you look for? Like old slaves tale about a guy escaping like i didn't know what to well, you know try you, to find. yeah but it's kind of updated and then the, the the funk this idea of the funk as the savior mm-hmm. of man or whatever it is that kind of runs throughout the album is, is present here um which is kind of cool I, I like the the spoken stuff toward the end like i'm i'm funky and proud I think it's maybe yes, riffing which is on a, james brown yes yes um and then <laughs> i'm aging old <laughs> funk <laughs> that that stuck with me <laughs> i i liked it the more i listened to it but it it was it was a harder one to to get excited for man i'm kind of surprised about that guys that was i i, I love that one so much i i listened to that one a lot this year and uh i guess that you know i i got a thing you got a thing everybody's got a thing that's the name of the next song <laughs> You don't drink what I drink You don't smoke what I smoke You don't think like I think You don't 
Had to include the bridge on that one. Uh, the only yep. song on the album that Clinton had no involvement in the writing and the third single. This one's written by the Parliament singer Clarence Fuss, Fuzzy Haskins as a spin on an old gospel tune called I Got Shoes, You Got Shoes, All God's Children Got Shoes. The song is mostly <laughs> sung. <laughs> I, okay. I didn't look at it. The song is mostly sung by the Parliaments. However, the bridge vocals, here we go, are supposedly sung by Eddie Hazel, according to Wikipedia. But performance footage from 1969 on the Say Brother Boston television program, you can find it on YouTube, clearly show Billy Nelson lip syncing those lines. So I don't know. Uh, the collective strikes again. Once again, uh, Ray Monette of Rare Earth plays some guitar on this track, and it is possible that future Funkadelic mainstay Bernie Worrell is on the Hammond organ here, although it could also be original Funkadelic organist Mickey Atkins. Uh, Wikipedia says Worrell, but I also found a source that says he was just on the B-side of this song, which, by the way, the B-side, when this was put out as a single, was called Fish, Chips, and Sweat. Just oh no! Dis- sounds disgusting. <laughs> ah, huh. um, I just wonder if people retroactively placed Bernie Well on this song too, because they saw he was on that one. Anyway, regardless, uh, I dig this one quite a bit, uh, especially how it kind of builds up to that guitar freak out with the killer drum fill intro, and then everything kind of dies out, and you get Eddie or Billy, whoever, singing the "You Don't Smoke What I Smoke" line. Uh, I think this one shows Funkadelic at its psych rock best. Uh, yeah, I'd agree with you, uh, Josh. Um, it, it's it's such an interesting turn from the you know the really uh, rootsiness of uh, the previous track, and and now we've got this kind of you know fast guitar wah wah um, you know freak out, and and those drums are so propulsive. You know that that clip that you um, that you played. If if you took out the wah and and added in some like you know overdriven power chords you know it's almost like a uh, like a punk song and it's you know be, being in in that in that detroit scene you know you're yeah. right that that would be you know uh, a lot such crazy kind of crossover going um my first note is uh th- this this has the feel of what i was kind of more expecting coming into a funkadelic record um i, I do like it uh the the gang vocals kind of reminded me of uh of sly and the family stone, you know, yes. kind of it, it has that that feel. Um, I I love the, the the messaging. There's not really a lot of lyrics uh, uh, to look at, but it's um, the the kind of communal uh, you know message. I, I think is really uh, indicative uh, of you know of kind of what 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 the collective was was all was all about. Yeah, that um, I mean. The first thing it hits you with is that uh, extremely fast wah-wah guitar strumming 16th or 32nd notes, however you want to count it. It's kind of like in a halftime, but it's completely energized by both the gu- guitar strumming uh, 32nd notes with that extreme wah, and then the hi-hats are also doing 30 seconds, and that just that just carries it, even though maybe the BPM is, is kind of low. Um, it uh, it, it's a wild way to do the beat, and yeah, then the the chorus part, whatever you want to call it, with the snares on every downbeat, yeah, it could be like MC5 or something. Um, it goes into almost a different mode. Um, it gave me big single vibes, so it's not it's uh, not shocking that it was a single. The 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 beat's just so so frantic on, on this one. It could it could cause you to like lose get rhythmically displaced but it 
the energy just keeps high and I like that. Um, I like the message. We all drink and smoke different things, you know, but, uh, we're all part of, of, of one collective as, as Matt said, uh, I, I think I like how the bands all over the place, like like four kind of four different feels almost to four different songs, even though it's mostly the same instrumentation. But I did want to, I think maybe this is where we first hear the Hammond organ completely wilding out, and it it just shreds and sounds completely awesome. And then finally, I do I I like how there's a change at the end where the um the beat changes to a funky shuffle, a, a triplet bass thing. Uh, real cool choice. Uh, I, I like that kind of thing to change it up at the end. And then it does this thing where it, it let song like threatens to fade out <laughs> and then it doesn't quite, but then it, it goes back and it fades out. <laughs> but the, uh, the really heavy vibrato organ remains as the rest of the song fades out, uh, un- until the end. And I thought that was really cool, but yeah, a, a high, a higher tier one out, out of these handful of songs for sure. Yeah. I, I got a thing for this song because it rules uh you know right off the bat that it's going to be fire when that guitar is playing uh it it takes a bit to get this one in the air but once it takes off it just soars Uh, you know about 125 in things get going but i'm i'm hoping that the opening chants come full circle but i don't think they end up doing that uh but about 215 in it really really sounds good I love the you don't drink, smoke, think, joke, what I, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) et cetera. (laughs) Amazing lines right here. I'm down for the message, I said as well. Uh, Clapping gets a little dodgy in places, but is totally forgivable. Uh, Guitar just shredding at the end. I love that. The organ sounds good. I'm, 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 I'm digging the organ. And I really enjoyed this track, and it's definitely at a quicker tempo, which I seem to really enjoy more so than the subdued jams. So this is a big thumbs up from me, top shelf here. Nice. Yeah, you guys talk about that fast wah. I don't know if anybody watched that clip. I highly encourage you to seek it out. The yeah, yeah, yeah. Performances, uh, there's, there's two performances you can find of Funkadelic on YouTube from this era. One's that Say Brother performance. The other one, uh, and you can really see the transition. The Say Brother performance, they're kind of dressed like hippies. Then you watch the performance of this one on, I don't know what the show is, and they do this song, and they're all dressed mm-hmm. like wizards and shit. It's uh, great. It's uh, so good. But also, I love awesome. how when the fast wall's going, going Clarence Fuzzy Haskins is dancing in his long jumps, like doing a weird, he's doing a weird little squat dance. Also, uh, my favorite comment on that video is if you catch the announcer at the beginning, he talks about after this, John Denver and somebody's like, imagine some kid like, mom, when's John Denver going to be on? I think he's after these guys, honey. (laughs) Let these these weird men and wizard outfits play first. Uh, yeah, that's some, uh, you know, that's some good old music, guys, which is the next track. Good old music.
This is technically the first single from Funkadelic, as it was released as a Parliament song on Revelot Records in 68, but the label said Funkadelics were the co-authors on the track, uh, shortly before the label folded. The lead vocals are a shared duty of the Parliaments and Billy Nelson. The organ is definitely Mickey Atkins this time, the original Hammond organ player for Funkadelic, who actually sadly passed away last March of 2020. Clinton views this song, here we go, as the first true Funkadelic song. In his autobiography, (laughs) he says, Good old music was a manifesto, a legitimate new beginning. He also claims it was a potential hit, but they had no label to work it at radio, so it went nowhere. He also says the drums are the second most sampled drums in hip-hop after Funky Drummer. Don't know if that's true, but that is what Clinton says uh, in his autobiography, which he makes a lot of claims. Uh, I, I think, the, <laughs> I think this one is, uh, is okay. I, I think it goes on way too long. It passes the eight minute mark. Uh, the best thing for me in this one is the drumming. I think the drumming is awesome here. It's, it's crisp and tight. Uh, but I ultimately find that chorus hook, not too memorable. Uh, the jamming seems a little uninspired, especially coming on the heels of the last two, which I really, really liked. Uh, so th- this one was kind of middle, middle level for me. I think I liked it a bit more than you. Um, I thought it was kind of banger material. I could tell right away when it when it starts with that really nice beat that I guess is is uh, often sampled. It's a great one to to kick back to. A great one to try blasting this in the car as you drive at night, and uh, you'll get a different kind of feel out of it. Um, I said it was funky. F O N K Y. Um, I'm wondering why it wasn't called good old funky music. That might be <laughs> more a more memorable uh, title for it. But um, the the really awesome organ is back. Um, we have more uh, the interesting choice to do snares on downbeats, not for the whole song, but but part of it. It's something we hear across this album, um, which I didn't e- expect to hear necessarily in, in funky music. Um, super nasty ass guitar solo with great effects, um, making it, making it talk almost. Yeah. I mean, it does go on, but I, I, I forgive this one for some reason. I, I just like the vibe so much. It, it does ride out the last several minutes with a very minimalist drum and guitar. And then we, then we kind of add in bass, which maybe the bass has a wah on it, which is something you, you don't hear so often I could be mistaken on that. I wanted to point out in the lyrics, this is give me more. Uh, give me more of that. Hey, ding, 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 ding. <laughs> the titular uh, uh, song for our podcast. <laughs> but I really dig it. I think more of give me some more of that is a good way to describe this song for me. Uh, this seems a little more focused. It seems more traditional in a way. The vocals are a soulful patchwork definitely a group effort which makes for a neat effect though i admit that i kept waiting for the vocals to really take off uh when they didn't i was a little let down this one seems to lose its aim in my opinion around five minutes in but the bass kind of reins it back into an interesting territory by the end the drums are steady grooving i love the drums 
the organ signals it's time to bring this back somewhere, but it disappointedly kind of fades out before it can really take off. I was expecting it to just blast off from there, uh, like Santana style or something. I don't know. <laughs> I feel like it was a missed opportunity to really bring it back in the end with some kind of intense vocals, but it just kind of peters out. It has tons of potential. Or maybe I've just listened to too much Volta and Volta's ruined me or something. But I was just <laughs> expecting something like to like, Yeah, let's let's go. <laughs> uh, we're we're definitely back to kind of the the more Motown roots, I I, I think. Um it, it makes sense that this is an early song. Uh Josh, I agree that that chorus line is is pretty pretty rudimentary and and not uh not particularly memorable. Uh, I also noticed the 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 uh, the the snares on on the down or on the downs, Blake uh, on mm-hmm. on the um, the ones and and that kind of gave me that that same feeling that I think you talked about where it doesn't really it it kind of st- seems a little stunted and doesn't want to take off and and uh, and and kick into the next gear. Um, I, I think it's good. I, I I really like the organ. I can understand why these drums are some of the most sampled drums, or at least uh, you know often sampled. Uh, they they do sound great. Uh, crispiness is, is exactly correct, Josh. Um, so uh, so yeah, th- this one. Um, I I, I think th- this one and the next one are are, are kind of the. Uh, the, the the lowest point in the album for me but uh but i i still think it, it's a it's a fairly uh, solid track for, for what it is uh just by itself the next track is qualify and satisfy i just know what i'm capable of This bluesy tune took the main riff from Muddy Waters' I'm Your Man and has Calvin singing about how if your man is corny in a square, he is qualified uh-huh. to satisfy. That's about the only history I have on this one. Um, <laughs> I find this one pretty boring, honestly. <laughs> uh, I am I am not a blues fan, and even for blues, it seems pretty paint-by-numbers. Uh I do think the vocal performance is good and the lyrics are comical, but what it has in charm and charisma doesn't make up for the sort of rote blues mad lib that occurs for an unbearable six minutes. <laughs> uh, so yeah, that's my thoughts on qualified satisfy. Uh, I don't know if I'm an outlier or not. I guess we'll, we'll find out here. Uh, Logan, what do you think? No, you're not an outlier. I, <laughs> you know, I'm, it's pretty bluesy, which I can be weird about. There's times that I can be really, you know, in tune with it and saying, yeah, I really dig this. But then there's a lot of times that I'm just like, nah. Uh, but I enjoy the feel and the groove of it. The guitar playing is on point. It definitely sounds like a bar somewhere, probably. Uh, <laughs> other than the guitar exploration, I admit I start drifting a little bit. It sounds like some conversations are happening in the background. I don't know if it's Eddie playing guitar, or but his guitar tone is just heaven in parts of the song. Uh, with the back and forth between the organ, I thought that was kind of cool. 
We get some crazy sounds and feedback mixed in that starts to make it a bit more trippy, but I, I think I have to be in the mood for this one. The guitar sounds really good, though, so it may get a pass. I don't know, probably not, uh, especially in headphones. It, it sounds all right. It kind of falls apart at the end, though, but obviously it just may have been improvised, so who knows? <laughs> not really my jam, though. Yeah, I, I think uh, I would, would join you guys uh approximate to to that opinion um yeah um what one of my one of my notes is uh you know the this in particular is a lot bluesier than i was expecting from from funkadelic and i and i wondered how how josh would feel about that uh knowing it as i do that the josh isn't isn't a a, a big bluesman um they were... i did like music for my mother though yeah which was Fairly yeah, bluesy yeah. from what you guys said, so I don't. But yeah, yeah. Th- this one not as much. Well, Sorry, go ahead, Matt. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of more more of a low energy. Yeah, it does have that kind of bar feel. Um, you know, the or like a a, a rowdy studio session feel. Um, I, I do think the guitars sound good and interesting. Um, strangely enough, uh, I, I did listen in headphones. You know, that that really kind of um close dry guitar almost reminds me of like a Robbie Krieger kind of tone. Um, and, and I can't remember which, uh, which door song it is that, it, that it's reminding me of, but, um, well, it's got a stomp kind of like five to one. Yeah, uh, it, I bet it was five. Uh, I bet it was five to one, uh, that the clean tone and also kind of that, that further back kind of reverby, um, fuzzy tone. That, that's just the vibe I got, you know, that your mileage may vary. Uh, if if you're gonna do blues for me, it's got to be pretty compelling, and 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 I'm not um, not hearing as much. But I do like kind of the the sonic exploration explorations. I think that's in, in keeping with the 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 vibe of uh, of the of the song. Well, I don't hate it. Uh, I enjoyed it somewhat, and this is why because after just about one minute of kind of prototypical blues we get five minutes of instrumental experimentation. <laughs> like they kind of abandon um, the, the, the blues lyrics very early on. I mean, I, I appreciate a man bragging about his sexual prowess and his ability to uh, steal your girl. If you are too corny, but I, what I'm really sticking around for is the drum fills, which are awesome, and it kind of highlights them on this, but they're awesome across the whole album. They're really fast drum fills. And the organ continues to shred throughout this song. Um, I, maybe it's a B3. Um, always going to love that tone. I like that it goes from blues to to pure psychedelia. Well, at least that's kind of how I, I took it with, with those guitar effects that are that are freaking out toward the end um by the i I may not have liked the the kind of um you know you you've heard it before i think you said it was muddy waters so it didn't start out as something that excited me but by the end i did say that i dig it nice well we've reached the last track which is sort of a bookend to the first track it asks another question uh, this time what is soul Yeah. 
drop in your cornflakes. What is so? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> soul. Soul is the ring around your bathtub. We end where we started, a journey into the mind of George Clinton and the newborn mythos of Funkadelic he is slowly creating. I assume it's the same character as the first track, who we could call Funkadelic, that says the line about, Behold, I am Funkadelic, I am not of your world, but fear me not, I will do you no harm. Uh, This song is why I don't think it's Clinton on the first track, because this is definitely him reciting the various list of things that Soul are as there is a video footage of him them performing this song on that Say Brother program from Boston in 1970. And if you compare the voice here to the first track, I just don't think it's the same person. Uh, as the parliaments repeatedly ask, what is soul? Uh, Clinton responds with the following things that soul is. A ham hock in your cornflakes. The ring around your bathtub. A joint rolled in toilet paper. Rusty ankles and ashy kneecaps. Chitlin's Foo Young and you, baby. I, uh, <laughs> maybe I missed some, but that's what I got. I like this one. Uh, it feels of a piece with sort of music for my mother and the first track, sort of combining these repetitive vocal chants with improvisational jamming and riffing. Uh, I, Logan, you mentioned how it's got this party atmosphere. I think this song has that more than some of the others. It just sounds like they turned on the recorder and just started riffing around and joking in the studio while the band played. And I, I, I appreciate that kind of, uh, it's definitely charismatic, I guess is the word. Uh, and, and I find it intriguing if not necessarily musically challenging, but I, I do appreciate it a lot on the, uh, just the, the weird and fun aspects of it. Uh, I, yeah, I think this is a really great bookend with, um, with the first track. Um, and, and yeah, I, th- this is, re- you know, th- this really resonates with me uh, on this record. I love the imagery of the different things that soul is. Um, I, I was curious, I, I didn't pick up on the, uh, escaping from slavery aspect of, uh, what was it? Music, music for my for... mother, uh, but but I did I did think about uh, the the rusty ankles uh, line. If if that was um, mm. Uh, mm. if that that was a, yeah. a, a reference to to um, you know to being in chains, um, I'm glad that Funkadelic's back. I, I agree. This does have that kind of you know live mic party uh, sound. I don't know which uh, who had uh, a previous song as Fonky F O N K Y. I have down yeah, this is Stanky S T A N K Y. Yeah, um, yeah. That that really crisp guitar tone is there. Um, yeah, I I think this is a really strong closing track. Yeah, I like it too, um, and I like that the Funkadelic Alien is back. And am I? Am I right about this? That some of the lines uh, from the beginning are brought back, or the ideas? Yes, like, uh, I, I think they repeat some stuff. Loan me your funky mind, and I will play with it. <laughs> this this is horny slash nasty slash almost too weird for my comfort. But a lot of like <laughs> all that if you can't play with it, it's not good, or uh, something like that. All that is good is nasty, <laughs> like. <laughs> Talk, 
What the hell? <laughs> the sound drop. Or, <laughs> David Lynch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or, or, or Hank Hill. Well, We're talking about it was, orange, yeah, <laughs> yeah. L- literal, literal, like a uh, party background noise. Like they're talking about orange haze. All right, and then we hear coughing. You know, someone's someone's hitting the the orange haze uh, too hard or something. Um, yeah, all that wild ring around your bathtub. Uh, it's really strange imagery in this. And then you hear chuckling afterward. He's making himself laugh. Um, it's interesting to me that it's a beatless ethereal. So it's like everything's floating because it's beatless at first. Many of the vocals are not even tied to a beat. And I think that's probably purposeful. Uh, they want something ethereal. But then they decide four minutes in, I think it's a killer way to introduce the beat. Four solid minutes into the song, snares on the downbeats again, but the, the beat sounds really killer. Um, this, the psychedelic reverb almost becomes deafening in this one, um, but it's still kind of a cool effect that har- the harmonica's shredding. Um, the the drum fills are, are, are wilding out, and I, I still love those. Um so when when he says soul is you big mama at the end i think that's that's my favorite one of those um <laughs> but uh i did i did smoke a a joint rolled in toilet paper in college anyone <laughs> anyone else it was utter dog shit <laughs> am i is it just me? i i've never heard of no. that no. no not a good way to roll Negative. it <laughs> We did. Oh wow! N- none. <laughs> we're not soulful, uh, Blake. We had well, we we were about the least soulful people imaginable. Uh, it's not a good way to roll a joint. I don't don't recommend that. We had nothing else anyway. I had ham hocks really in fun. my cornflakes one time. That was not <laughs> that, good either. I don't like the image that that puts in my mind, but it it's there. I guess it, this is a it's a pretty fun one. Yeah, I'm I'm really into it. Before he starts uh, talking about playing with my mind and it and all that is nasty, <laughs> I'm not sure I want any clarification on that. Uh, the delays with the guitar are so sweet sounding, though. Uh, they have a very informal sound, as if they're all. Oh, this is kind of where I I talked about. You know, they're all just hanging out and break out into song mm-hmm. together. It's like a group of friends that all decide to break out into song. Uh, having side conversations and just kind of <laughs> seeing how everything unfolds. Uh, I think that's fun. And I love the ham hock and your cornflakes and uh, the, the imagery of all the lyrics. It's very vivid. I love all the huh and uh used percussively. Uh, those are great. Mm-hmm. Uh, harmonica really gets things moving. Nice harmonies. I, I dig this one. I did keep waiting for it to just cut loose, uh, but I love how they're laughing about their own lyrics by the end of it. Seemingly, you know, it's just an interesting approach to the whole thing, and it's very informal. And I, I, I like that. That's cool. It uh, the the atmosphere reminds me of last season. We talked about a Tribe Called Quest on the first Tribe album. How it ends some of those tracks ended with Jerobi in the studio, just sort of leading everybody. Remember like there's some tracks that you could clearly just hear. It was the studio mic on talking and having fun. It kind of had that vibe as well. Uh, There's not like necessarily one person here leading, I guess Clinton would be the 
sort of spiritual leader leading everything. But yeah, similar kind of party atmosphere. All right. Well, that is Funkadelic, the first Funkadelic album. Let's get into our final thoughts. Thoughts. So I uh, I find this album kind of uh, uneven and and sometimes kind of a messy endeavor. It's got moments of bril- brilliance and inspiration mixed in with some overly long jams and and sometimes hookless songwriting. I think when it's good, it's it's really charming and fun. Songs like "Music for My Mother," "I Got a Thing," "What Is Soul." I think it's sort of at its worst when it's just boring, uh, like qualify and satisfy. Uh, if I had heard this in 1970 though, I, I think I would have definitely wanted to hear more of that from this band, but <laughs> I, I don't think it would have been an album that I came back to a lot over the years, other than a few songs here, or there. So ultimately I'm going to give it, and I'm stealing this one cause I know other people probably want this one. I'm going to give it 3.5 ham hocks in your cornflakes. There we go. You were choosing that one too. Uh, I'm not. I'm not giving away. For me, it's clear that that these guys have have already been playing together for a long time. They're 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 such a tight combo, but they they also have they they just exude fun and kind of um you know like weird loony intensity and and confidence. Um, all of their arrangements are the guitars are just so sparse. And there, there's there's so few things going on, really, and, and you can kind of pick each individual element out. But, um, but rather than you know, kind of thinking to yourself, what you know, it really transports you there in, into the room. I I think um, the the guitars are, are mixed so hot, the organs are you know, kind of more ethereal and and, and kind of you know the sloshing around in amongst these these really percussive guitars and and um and so and such a fat base um and 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 they also really push the limits of you know just spring reverb take tape echo vibrato and feedback and they and they have this whole sonic landscape that you know even even if you can kind of pick out how they're doing what they're doing it 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 still you know kind of evokes uh otherworldly images um, I think it's fitting that this was released in 1970 because for me it's kind of a stride two decades. Um, you know, something like "I Betcha," you know, it could have been a Temptation song, and and it's great, but you know, it's very much a, a 1960s song. But then you have other tracks that you know are like pretty much definitional 70s funk songs. It's you know, it, it's it's that whole. Uh, kind of zeitgeist or 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 vibe that that you think about when you think about funkadelic. Um, I like the rootsy blues. Um, there's quite a bit of it here. I think I want to hear more of the funk. Um, Blake mentioned, uh, you know, that you really want to listen to this on vinyl. I think that's true. I think the tactility of vinyl is is kind of necessary to to really kind of get the vibe of this record. Um, you would also need the sleeve of that record to roll the three and a half, maybe have a little bit left uh, joints rolled in toilet paper, which <laughs> I uh, am, am bestowing to Funkadelic's self-titled debut. Nice. What was that rating again? One more time. That is that. three and one half joints rolled in toilet paper. Got it. Okay. On the original sleeve of Funkadelic <laughs> with that great artwork. It does have cool artwork. I don't yeah, I didn't even mentioned. talk about that. 
I have a comment on that in a future episode about who took oh, okay. that photo and did that oh. artwork, but uh, that'll come later. Kind of. Um, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, it kind of re- reminded me of uh, Mesmerize. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, it's psychedelia right there. And they, they tell you exactly what you're getting. You're getting funk and you're getting psychedelia. It's in the name, literally. Um, most of what I would say would just be echoing a lot of what's been said. Uh, the whole thing on this is I enjoyed its vibe overall and it's, it's like all, all vibe. It's all about vibing out and in a, in a good way, I think it all kind of runs together. This one thing as one long jam, um, of people get to getting together, uh, semi improvisationally jamming. And then you, it's kind of broken into seven movements or seven sections. You could think about it that way. Even though they they do genre bend a little bit, it's mainly the same instrumentation all across the board. But I I like that instrumentation. It, it's obviously working for them. Um, obviously, it's really out of my comfort zone, <laughs> but I I like that it's taking me. It's making me think uh, in in different ways um, than I have been lately. I've I've been really tunnel visioned, as it were, in in music. Uh, lately, uh, just listened to the previous episode about my, uh, favorite songs of the year for further evidence of that would, would definitely put this on again for mood purposes. Um, especially if I ever want to try psychedelics, there's nothing here that I explicitly dislike. My attention did wander on some of the longer, maybe bluesier ones, um, just some of the time. And it's, it's really a hard one to rate but i did i think i ended up the exact same as josh and gave it three and a half ham hocks so overall i think this is a strong first album from funkadelic uh like blake said you know i i think they live up to their name i think the production has some mean tape hiss or atmosphere to it while on first listen kind of bothered me but i feel like after multiple listens that it is in maybe indeed part of the sound and pretty vital though i'd like to hear it on a cleaned up transfer or on vinyl uh original may have just been my source i feel like this album would definitely freak some people out i love the creativity the versatility and the freedom that it paints it sounds very open in mind, body, and soul, which I think makes for some truly memorable and fantastic moments on this album. Uh, the music takes you on a journey with or without the drugs, which is important. Um, so I'm eager to hear more. And I said, uh, I think I probably liked, it's hard to rate because, you know, there's so many different parts to the songs. and um, But I would say maybe five out of the seven so that landed me about 71 percent or 3.5 rings around your bathtub nice all right let's get into our superlative did all four of us give it three and i three think and yes, we all gave it the exact same rating it consensus is, it is middle of the road we need a consensus drop consensus consensus <laughs> Do you- do you call it consensus or unanimous, or do they mean the same thing? Can it be, can it be the halo? The halo. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there might be a consensus here as well. I, I, my banger has got to be, I got a thing 
you got a thing, everybody's got a thing, especially when that fill hits and Eddie, yeah. I presume, goes off on guitar. That's that's my banger. I got a thing. Uh, Josh, I also have a thing uh, you, to to <laughs> correspond to your thing that everyone may also have. This one is really hard to pick superlatives, by the way, out of just the seven tracks here, or at least <laughs> I found it was. I'm going to, I'm going to, in the oh, spirit no. of the collective, no, no, in the spirit, go with, the spirit go with your gut, go with what you want. No, 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 no. This is, this was my gut, but in the spirit of collective, I also got a thing. Oh, I got a thing for Blake's choice and the rest of your guys' <laughs> choice because that's what I chose. So cue nice. Halo music. <laughs> <laughs> now this one i don't know about this but I, I went with music for my mother i mean i i love that song uh don't don't sleep on that one for sure uh i i kind of vacillated um between uh, i also have music for my mother written down but i i could have also written down uh what is soul uh you you want to you want to get to the end uh into the record and, and get into that one also uh, no one's gonna agree with this one. My don't sleep on it is good old music. Wow. Uh, I said don't sleep on. I'll bet you. Mm. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, this now once again we might back to because it's I you gotta skip qualified satisfied. Qualified satisfy is just oh man. Mm. I don't like that song. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, I am. I am satisfied to to skip that song as well. Consensus, consensus. Oh, Blake man, Blake of, likes qualify and satisfy. Buddy, out, of the, out of the two bluesy songs, I I said skip music. For oh my, my god! There's what? The, it's not. It's not a bad song, but I had to pick one to skip. Sorry. Ah, <sighs> uh, yeah, music I skipped quali- qualify and satisfy. Why is the song not called Qualified to Satisfy? I wondered that that's as well. The... I wonder if that's just a transcription error or something. Or <laughs> <laughs> No clue. No clue. Okay. Sorry. I, I screwed it up. Okay. Now, now we get to the fun hey, stuff. Here we go. Now, I, here's what I put here. I put, I'll bet you. And I said, I, I'll bet you because it seems the least embarrassing to do and <laughs> most straightforward. Also, it's got some awesome guitar gymnastics that Logan and Matt can trade off on. So I, I, I went with I'll bet you. But I'm, I'm very curious to see what everybody else says here. Uh, I bet you that I would also like to cover I bet you. Okay. Oh, consensus, 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 consensus. I one of I us, one of Google gobble, Google gobble. Yeah, I almost did say what is soul because I wanted us to come up with new, <laughs> new answers to you the know, questions. As four white like, dudes from Missouri, soul is, <laughs> soul is a Funko Pop or some shit. Um, but I. My original answer was indeed um, I'll Betcha because we have four singers with four different voices. <laughs> Trade off the do lines. The, do those voicings, it's and I'll take I'll take the low. But yeah, you'll take I'll the low you. one, the Stingray Davis part. Uh, yep. This is the first time in more of that history <laughs> that we have all agreed on a cover of I'll Bet You. Good job, guys. Yeah. I think that means we have to cover it now. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I think. 
I'm down. Yeah. Uh, well, and actually, hey, that's a great point to to bring this up. And we're we're at the conclusion of our episode here. Uh, I should say we are getting ready to uh, probably by the time you hear this, even closer to uh, having some new music out. So, oh, yeah, yes. that is you know, uh, I don't know where to go with that. Guys. I'll bet we you like that. it. <laughs> no, I'm not cutting it. I, I don't want know. them to I was know. Gonna say, new yeah, music. we're we you know we're actually gonna do some music. So. Uh, that's cool. Um, well, in two weeks from now, we'll continue our look at the original run of Funkadelic with their second album, Free Your Mind and Your Ass Will Follow, as well what? as the first Parliament album, Osmium, which is kind of a, a lost one in a way. Uh, next week will be a pregame that you'll just have to listen to to find out what it's about. But hope you enjoyed this dive into Funkadelic and... Uh, We'll we'll see you next time. I don't know how to end it. Anybody have an idea? <laughs> Mommy, what's a more of that? <laughs> don't forget there to listen go. to music, folks. You know what your problem is? What? You ain't got the funk. You're all rigid. Hmm? You're like a breadstick. You got no rhythm. Yeah, well, I've heard all this sort of stuff before, thank you. Well, maybe I could help you. I got the funk. Yeah, I know. You're very funky, Greg. No, no, you don't understand. I mean, I got the funk right here. It's in this box. You see, the funk is a living creature. About the size of a medicine ball, but covered in teeth. Came from another planet. It landed on Bootsy Collins' house. Back then, Bootsy was just a simple farmer. But he took one look at all those mauve titties and he lost his mind. He began to milk the funk. Shit, this ball producing some sweet cream. Made himself a funk shake. Raise the Lord. He began to feel fizzy inside. He found he could see round corners. What the? Suddenly, he passed out. But when he came to, baby, he was slapping a bass guitar fast and loose like some kind of delirious funky priest. Oh, yeah. Two months later, he was world famous with his band, Parliament, and everybody wanted a piece of the funk. Rick Wakeman, even the Bee Gees. Oh, give me that funky milk. One day, Parliament were traveling on the mothership, fooling around with the funk. There's it over. When George Clinton kicked the funk clean overboard. Ew. Oh, man. That was July the 2nd, 1979, the day the funk died. Two weeks later, I found the funk in bed with a conger eel. Oh. I've been rumbled. At first, I thought it was a sea anemone, but under closer inspection, I realized it was a funky ball of tits from outer space. I offered to take him back to Parliament, but he said he was done with that shit and that they never listened to him anyway and were only interested in his funky produce. So I let him live down here with me in this cave 